0: Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we jump about 35 years into the future on the Legends timeline and start the bug books. It's The Joiner King by Troy Denning, book one in the Dark Nest trilogy. The trilogy follows many of the new characters featured in the New Jedi Order series, like Jaina and Jason Solo, their fellow Jedi Knights, and Luke, Leia, Han, and Mara Jade all in Middle Age. The Dark Nest trilogy is a little different from other Legends books, in my opinion, with some stuff that I like and some that I don't. But let's save my opinions for the second half of the show. Up first, it's listener question time. I have two questions this week. The first is from listener Seth. Seth says, Hello, I have the opportunity at my work to use headphones and I have been listening to the audiobook versions of Legends and Canon novels. I have really enjoyed the effects and ambiance of the reading and was wondering if you also enjoy them. I was also wondering if you planned on reviewing Canon novels after finishing with the Legends novels. Thank you very much for the question, Seth. I have occasionally listened to audiobooks. My first one was an abridged version of the Crystal Star that I had on cassette tape way back in 1994. I played it on repeat in my 1998 Pontiac Grand Am as I drove back and forth to my part-time job after high school. It shortened the story to about three hours. Now I use my Audible credits to download audiobooks on my phone like everybody else. Thank goodness the audiobooks they produce now are unabridged. My relationship with audiobooks is mixed. I do like the voices, I like the effects, and the ambiance, just like you. But I find my attention wandering a lot and i miss two or three minutes at a time then i have to rewind it and listen all over again my favorite way to read is still with a physical copy of the book if i do listen to an audiobook now i usually break out the book along with it and follow along with the recording usually at 1.2 speed as for whether or not i'll do any canon books once i'm through with all the legends novels I still really don't know Seth. I plan to do all the Legends adult novels, but I haven't forecasted out how long that'll take. I think it'll last to sometime in 2026. Now the only rule that I made for myself about this podcast is that I will keep doing it as long as I'm having fun with it, and I don't want it to feel like it's work. So, I really don't know if I'll go beyond legends, Seth, but sure, if I'm still having fun, I'll break into the canon books. Thank you very much for the email, Seth. Today's second message comes from listener John, and it's an audio question. Let's listen to what John has to say. Hi, Aaron. This is uh, John John Zukowski. Uh, I love the show. You're doing a great job. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, do you think Vader was the one? the the prophecy that the jedi just got it wrong that he was the one for the dark side of the force because he did wipe out most of the jedi bringing balance maybe to the dark side do you think they just got the prophecy wrong and that he is the one or is am i just completely wrong Ooh, tough question john to be honest i've always had problems with the chosen one prophecy mainly because it seemed like George Lucas himself couldn't really figure out what it was he meant it throughout the years. The same with whatever it means to bring balance to the Force. Is the Force like a set of scales where the galaxy must be equal between light and dark at all times? I don't know. Honestly, I don't have any good opinions about these things. But, when it comes to prophecy, I think some people make the mistake of thinking that something like this is set in stone. I always go back to the scenes in The Empire Strikes Back on Dagobah. Yoda's words to Luke have always felt to me like George Lucas telling the audience everything they need to know about the Force. Yoda says the future is always in motion, and that the dark side of the Force is easier, quicker, a more seductive path. I think that's the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. Were the Jedi of the prequel era too rigid in their thinking and their rules? Yes. Did they make mistakes with Anakin, being too strict in some ways while looking the other way with some of the stuff he did? Again, yes. And did the Jedi kind of forget what their main job was, to guard the people of the galaxy against the dark side? Absolutely. But, it's not like everything just happened to Anakin. He made his own decisions. Nobody is in control of all the events that happen in their lives, but they are in control of how they react to them and what they learn from them. How did Anakin react most of the time? With action and with anger. He usually didn't think things through. Anakin wanted to control everything to keep peace and order in the galaxy but especially to keep his friends and family safe. I don't think Anakin was the chosen one for the dark side of the Force, but I don't think he was the chosen one for the Jedi Order either. I kind of think Anakin was a reset button, that bringing balance to the Force meant that Anakin would eventually end the Sith line, which he did, and... And the stodgy, bureaucratic, regimented ways of the Jedi Order, which he also did. Thank you very much for the question, John. If you'd like to get your question on the show, like Seth, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Or, if you'd like to send me an audio question, like John, feel free to record yourself and email it to the show. Just please record it, in mp3 or mp4 audio format now one last thing before i get into today's book on the last episode i had a question about which star wars characters would make up my all-time star wars fighter squadron and i asked folks to send me theirs and the first few have arrived i'll read out two of those at the end of today's show so stay tuned Now it's time for today's book, The Joiner King by Troy Denning, the first book in the Dark Nest Trilogy. Grab yourself a drink, it's time to head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. (music) The story begins about five years after the events of the New Jedi Order series after the end of the war with the Yuzhan Vong. Eight of the younger Jedi Knights receive a call through the Force, calling them to the unknown regions of the galaxy. Now, despite some misgivings, there's something familiar about the call. All eight decide to answer it, including Jason Solo. After the Vong War, Jason decided to leave Luke's Jedi Order and explore the galaxy alone searching for answers from different Force users. But what were the questions? Jason doesn't really know. But like many of his fellow younger Jedi Knights, Jason has come to believe there is no light or dark side of the Force. All that matters is a Force wielder's motivations. It's opinion some of the older members of the Order, including Luke, are struggling with. When a member of the Chiss Ascendancy appears before the Jedi Council to ask the Council why the eight Jedi have traveled to the Unknown Regions at the border of Chiss Space, the Masters admit they'd been caught off guard. They weren't aware that the Knights had left their assignment, with Jason joining them. Luke decides to head after the Jedi, along with Mara, their eight-year-old son Ben, and the Barabell Jedi Master, Saba Sibatine. They rendezvous with Han and Leia and head off into the Unknown Regions. The group lands at a mysterious station manned by a species of insects and several other species who seem to be working along with them. Leia is shocked to learn the insects are Killicks, a species she thought went extinct centuries ago. The Killicks must have fled the known parts of the galaxy for the Unknown Regions, But what about the humans and other alien species working alongside them? They meet a Celestin smuggler named Jay June, who says those individuals are joiners, people from all over the galaxy who have bonded with the Killicks. They don't exactly share the insect's hive mind, but they do share some of their behaviors and telepathic abilities. The news is concerning to our heroes. Have the Jedi Knights joined with the Killicks? and Han and Leia especially are worried about their children, Jaina and Jason. The group follows June to the planet Yogoi, where they learn that the Killicks are being led by Raynar Thul, a former Jedi Knight presumed killed during the Vong War on a mission to Merkur. It turns out Raynar had been kidnapped by a pair of Dark Jedi, who fled the war and left an entire group of Jedi marooned on Merkur. The eight knights, Raynar called to the Unknown Regions, were the Jedi that had survived that mission. When Raynar and the Dark Jedi arrived in Killick space, their ship crashed. Raynar survived and was absorbed into the Killick colony. But his Force powers made Raynar a shining beacon in the insect's hive mind, allowing him to become the leader of the entire colony. Raynar calls himself Unuthol, and reorganize the Killick nests, expanding the colony throughout their sector of planets. One of those planets is Koribu, just one light year from Chiss space. The Chiss are highly militaristic, but refuse to be the first side to attack. But they are adamant that the Killick colony will not be allowed to expand into their space and they set up a line of ships at the border of the Koribu system. Unuthal says he called the Jedi he was at Merkur with to Koribu to help with the border dispute. The group heads to the site of Raynar's crash. Leia sees a vision of Jason at the site, where he visited weeks ago. Jason flow-walked back in time to when the crash occurred, and watched Raynar save the Dark Jedi, Welk and Lomi Plo from the wreckage. After Leia's vision, a group of blue Killicks attack the group. They escape and tell Unuthol, but he denies any knowledge of blue Killicks. Unuthol says Raynar was the only survivor. He says the Dark Jedi died in the crash. At Korbu, the group is attacked again but escapes when Luke unleashes a force apparition, leaving him drained. When they land, they meet up with seven of the Jedi Knights, and it makes them very uncomfortable. The Jedi act like many of the joiners our heroes saw on their arrival, with Jaina, Zek, Tahiri, Tekli, Alima Rar, and Tessar Sebatine finishing each other's thoughts and sentences. They also rub their forearms with each other, or on the antennae of the Killicks, The only one that doesn't seem affected is Jason, but all seven agree that the Chiss are being the aggressor. The Chiss have taken the eighth Jedi Knight, Lobaka, captive, and the Jedi accuse the Chiss ascendancy of threatening the Killicks at Korribu without any evidence that the colony plans to expand into Chiss space. The Skywalkers and Solos try to convince the young knights to come back to the Galactic Alliance, that this is outside of their jurisdiction. But the knights counter that they aren't a part of the government, that the Jedi defend everyone and answer only to the Force. And it was the Force that called them to help the Killicks. Eventually, Luke and Mara convince four of the knights to return to the Jedi Temple on Assis, while Leia convinces Alima Rar to come with her and Han. They promise to try and convince Cal Omas, the Galactic Alliance Chief of State, to send ambassadors to try to find a diplomatic solution to the border dispute. Jaina and Zek decide to stay. They plan to rescue Lobaka. As the Skywalkers and Solos prepare to leave Killick space, Saba is attacked by more of the Blue Killicks, led by one of the Dark Jedi, Welk. Saba is severely wounded but she survives the attack. Han and Leia take her aboard the Millennium Falcon, which has better medical equipment than the Jade Shadow. On the trip back to the Galactic Alliance, Elima Rar tries to sabotage the Falcon. She attacks Han and Leia and their Nogri bodyguards, but Han outsmarts Elima, knocking her unconscious. They induce her into a medical coma and transport her to the Jedi Temple on Asus. Once there... The Jedi healer, Master Sil'Gall, puts the five Jedi through some medical tests. The brainwaves of four of the Jedi show proof of the Killick telepathic abilities. Only Jason Solo's does not. But Alemas are different. Her scans show activity similar to the blue Killicks, known now as the Gorog. Sil'Gall hypothesizes that in the same way Raynar became absorbed into the colony, the Dark Jedi, Welk and Lomi Plo, used the Force to become the leaders of one group of Killiks, the Dark Blue Ones known as the Gorog, staying in the shadows, working without Raynar's knowledge. Sil'Gall says the Gorog were able to absorb Alima by taking advantage of her anger and grief over losing her sister during the Vong War five years ago. Sil'Gall calls the Gorog the Dark Nest and postulates it's the Dark Nest that is driving the Killicks toward war with the Chiss. Luke and the Jedi Council decide to allow Aleema to escape Ossus and track her back to Korribu, hoping she'll lead them to the Dark Nest. As the Jedi prepare to return to the Unknown Regions, Jason Solo heads to the Hapes Cluster to meet with Tanel Ka. The Queen Mother is his former Jedi Academy classmate, as well as his on-again, off-again girlfriend. Tanel Ka is the only survivor of the mission to Merkur who refused Unuthal's call. She tells Jason she locked herself in her palace and ordered her guards to keep her there. Jason convinces Tanel Ka to help defend the Killicks against the Chiss. She agrees to send hapen forces to Koribu to stand against the Chiss fleet. At Koribu, the Skywalkers and Solos track Alima's ship to the moon of Kerr. Luke and Mara take the Jade Shadow and follow Alema through the moon's caverns, while Han and Leia remain in orbit, talking with the Hapens and the Chiss. Beneath the surface, Luke and Mara track Alema to the Dark Nest's cave, and they walk into a nightmare. They find Gorog larvae feeding on the bodies of Chiss captives. This, Mara says, is the reason why the Chiss seem to be escalating the border dispute. Suddenly, Mara and Luke are attacked by Elima, Welk, and hundreds of Gorog Killiks. The Jedi Masters are able to hold them off until the Falcon and the rest of the Jedi Masters arrive. In the melee, Luke kills Welk and slices Elima's arm off, but she manages to escape. When the battle ends... Unuthal arrives. He's shocked to find the Gorog, still reluctant to even admit that the Dark Nest exists, but he agrees to relocate the Kilics on Korribu to an uninhabited planet that Han and Leia had found on their first trip back to Alliance space. With the conflict with the Chiss ended, Unuthal severs the connection between the Jedi Knights and the Killiks, and gives them his leave to return to their Jedi duties. The story ends with the Chiss releasing Lobaka and transferring him back to the Millennium Falcon. Han and Leia discuss what is next for them. It's been great having Leia live on the Falcon for the last five years, but both of them know her future isn't as Han's co-pilot. Han tells Leia she should return to what she's best at, galactic politics, but Leia refuses. It's time she really focuses on her Jedi training and she asks Saba Sibatine to be her Jedi Master. Time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about the Joiner King. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends but allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Shadow is the story of Padme Amidala after she steps down as queen and steps up to represent Naboo in the Galactic Senate. Together with her loyal handmaidens and the help of new allies, Padme tries to navigate the labyrinth that is galactic politics on Coruscant. That's Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today's book is The Joiner King by Troy Denning, the first book in the Dark Nest Trilogy. Let me just get this out of the way for this book and the next two. I'm not a big fan of the Dark Nest Trilogy. Like a lot of people who don't really like them a lot, I call them the bug books. It's not that there isn't anything to like in these books. It's just parts of them do not feel like Star Wars to me. I don't know. Parts of it just seem a little too hard sci-fi when I've always considered Star Wars more light sci-fi. And while I do really like the New Jedi Order series, one thing about those books I wasn't a big fan of is... The Jedi no longer believing in the light and dark side of the Force. The new Jedi come to believe that the Force is all-encompassing. That light and dark only exist within the person trying to use the Force. And it's that person's motivations that determine whether or not the person will remain on the light side or go dark. I guess I can understand that from a certain point of view. Those thoughts continue into the Dark Nest trilogy, and it's just not something I'm a huge fan of. But like I said answering John's question earlier in the show, anytime it comes to a question of the Force, I always go back to the scenes on Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back. I do believe that the Force has a light and a dark side. And I think Yoda tells Luke that. He says the dark side is quicker, easier, more seductive. That only when a Jedi is calm and at peace can they see the light side of the Force, and that they're able to determine which side of the Force is the light side. I think that's what George Lucas means when he talks about different sides of the Force, and that's just not something I'm a big fan of in these books. But I don't want to just talk about the things that I don't like, because I do think there are some things that are really interesting. I think there's some pretty interesting concepts in the Joiner King. I like the Killick society. I like the hive mind aspect, and it's something that you don't see normally in Star Wars. And I like how the author uses that To make everything off-putting to our heroes, every time Luke, Leia, Han, Mara try to speak with Unuthal, A.K.A. Raynar, his inclusion in the hive mind make some of their conversations really interesting to try to follow. They're kind of circular. Raynar is not thinking like an individual anymore. Raynar is receiving information from trillions of Killicks on four or five different worlds throughout this sector. And each time our heroes have a question for him, they have to try to decipher what his answers mean. I'm not gonna lie, sometimes it's a little frustrating to read, but I still find it pretty interesting because it puts the reader in Luke and Leia and Han's shoes as they sit there and talk to him. But the thing I find most interesting in this book is the debate within the Jedi Order. Not the part about the Force being light or dark. That, I'm... You know, that that's just not for me. But the debate on who the Jedi serve. There's a faction of Luke's Jedi Council that believes the Jedi should serve the interests of the Galactic Alliance. And... There's a faction that believes that the Jedi are not subject to political leaders that they serve only the Force. It's the same debate that the Jedi in the prequel trilogy had. You know, most of the Jedi Council there thought they served the Republic, but there were some, Qui-Gon Jinn most especially, that did not agree with the way the Jedi And the Republic were intertwined. The Jedi Council under Luke Skywalker in this story is making the same choice. And I find that fascinating. Now, it's much more 50-50. Some of the Jedi masters, particularly the ones who had experience during the war between the New Republic and the Galactic Empire, like Cam Salazar and Korn Horn, believe that the Jedi Council should serve the interests of the Galactic Alliance. Others, like Kip Duran or Jason Solo, believe that the Jedi only serve the Force. That whatever the Force tells them to do, they not only should do, but that they are obligated to do. And while Luke Participates in this ongoing debate, he kind of remains neutral, as though he's hoping to receive some sort of sign from the Force as to which way to go. It really is the most interesting part of the book, in my opinion. Now, there's other stuff to like. I'm a huge fan of Jaina Solo in her journey throughout the Legends timeline. Not specifically her journey within these three books, but elsewhere. I don't want to talk about them here, because we're focused on The Joiner King. Her twin, Jason Solo, however, following the Yuzhang Vong War, his journey is weird, interesting, frustrating at times, at least for me as the reader. I'm not a huge fan of his characterization as this strange, wandering monk investigating the Force. Although, there are aspects of that that are a lot like Qui-Gon Jinn from The Phantom Menace. So, I don't really know if that's intentional. I'd have to ask Troy Denning, which I don't think I would be doing anytime soon. But, I don't know. Just parts of Jason's story aren't my favorite. However, I admit, he's like a wild card that can be interesting at times where he throws off the dynamics for our other characters. Or he'll set in motion events which really are exciting. So, Jason Solo as a character is... The one part of Legends that I have the most conflict within myself, if you understand what I'm saying, there are parts of Jason that I'm a big fan of, but there are other parts of Jason Solo and his story that just don't really work for me. But I can't say that his inclusion in Legends timeline is not a good thing. Because if it wasn't for Jason, there are just so many things in Legends that I do like that would not occur. And we'll see more of that going forward. We see a lot of that in the New Jedi Order series, which I'll be covering in 2023. And we'll see a lot of that in the next series of books, Legacy of Force. So, The Joiner King by Troy Denning. Not my favorite book in Legends. The Darkness trilogy overall, not a big fan of. But there are some interesting things in this book. And this series overall is important for Jaina and Jason Solo and their stories going forward. And to a lesser degree, Ben Skywalker. Well, it's almost time to wrap up, but first... I want to highlight some of the listeners' Star Wars fighter squadrons. I received a few so far, and man, is it really fun to read the different characters that folks are putting in their squadrons, including characters that I'm not really familiar with, like some from the comics and video games. I got two this week. The first is from Colin Sandberg and his Gold Squadron. One Flight, Gold Leader, Hera Syndulla. Gold 2, Poe Dameron, great pilot, but Colin says he still needs to learn the ropes as a leader. Gold 3, Yvonne Verlaine, from the comics, who was the Y-Wing pilot that survived the run at the first Death Star. Yes, I completely forgot about Yvonne. And Gold 4, Laulo Ulo La who I'm not familiar with, but he's a Duro's A-Wing pilot, for also from the comics. Two-Flight. Gold 5, Anakin Skywalker. Gold 6, his son Luke, who Colin says is really the only one who could possibly keep up with his dad. Gold 7 is sae Tien, one of the best Jedi pilots during the Clone Wars. Gold 8, Corrin Horn, one of Colin's personal favorites, which rounds out his two flight, also the Jedi flight. And three flight for Colin, Gold 9, Wedge Antilles. Gold 10, Tycho Selchu, Wedge's right hand man, of course. Gold 11, Baron Suntir Fell, the best legends Imperial TIE fighter pilot. And finally, Gold 12, Tally Lintra. Colin says he wishes we had more of her in the sequel trilogy. And Colin, I agree. We needed more Tally That's Gold Squadron! Great choices, Colin. The second squadron today is from listener Ben Willis. And he's calling his Hive Squadron. Which is very apt for the Dark Nest books. And when I tell you, listener, that Ben went deep, not only did he include Starfighters, but also support craft and ground troops. Ben's X-Wings. Hive 1, Squadron Leader, Luke Skywalker. His wingman, Hive 2, Wedge Antilles. Hive 3 is Jaina Solo. And her wingman, Hive 4, Poe Dameron. Now, A-Wings. We have Harris Dula as Hive 5, and Tycho Selchu as Hive 6. Y-Wings, Hive-7, the pilot, Anakin Skywalker, with Ahsoka Tano as his gunner. And Hive-8, Thane Kyrell from Lost Stars as the pilot, and Finn from the sequel trilogy as his gunner. Now we hit support ships and troop transports. The Millennium Falcon, of course, piloted by Han Solo, with Rey as a co-pilot, Ben, I still wish you had Chewbacca in there, but this is your squadron, and the Falcons Gunners, two clones, Oddball and Kickback, the Landing Party, Captain Rex, Clone Force 99, Cassian Andor, and Ezra Bridger, specifically Ezra from Rebels Season 4. Wow, Ben, that's amazing. What a list. You may not have assembled the best Starfighter squadron I've read so far, but... If we're planning for a tactical strike, like that on Scarif or Endor, your team definitely takes the cake. Keep sending in your Starfighter Squadrons, listeners. You send them in, I'll read them on the show. Now, finally, it's time to wrap up. If you have a question or comment for the Star Wars Legends Lounge, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at at Legends Lounge 1. And, if you'd like to get your voice on the show, record your own audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Just record your file in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Coming up on the next episode, it's the second book in the Dark Nest trilogy, The Unseen Queen by Troy Denning. Look for that episode coming out July 22nd. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.